Welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. This is your host, David Dodge. And today I'm bringing on one of my good friends and a special guest. I just met Greg at a mastermind event recently in Mexico. And we got the honor of sharing a two-hour car ride uh, from the event to the airport and really got to know each other and got to catch up on uh, all things real estate. So let's give, please uh, give a good welcome to Greg Helbig. Greg, what's up, brother? Dude, it's my honor to be here. And can't you, isn't it crazy? Uh, that was a month ago, man, the Multipliers event. Time no, isn't that crazy how, how time flies? It's a whole month, man. Scary, man. It was a great time, though, man. It was an awesome time meeting you. And, and you know, it was my first year at that, uh, at that event. And, uh, man, it was life-changing. It was a great, great, great time. Yeah, there's no event like it, man. There's really not. I'm really happy that you're a part of the a part of the group now, Greg. It's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing. So I'm excited, guys. Greg is very unique. For one, he's a young guy. He's 25 years old and he's crushing the game. All right. Now, Greg lives in San Diego, California. Literally, my favorite place on earth. I love it there so incredibly much. Um, but he does the majority of his real estate investing out of the Hudson Valley, New York area. And Greg, fill me in again on where Hudson Valley is. It's how close to like New York, New York, like Manhattan is that? Sure. So it's it's in the, the, the suburbs of New York, New York. So we're about 45 miles north of the George Washington Bridge, which is in Manhattan. So okay. um, where it's in an interesting area. That's where I'm from. I was I moved to California like three years ago, almost three years ago now. So I still go back to New York all the time, you know, every, you know, month or two, I'll go back because I love a family and friends there. But it's a unique market where, you know, some counties in the Hudson Valley, you got $700,000 ARVs. Some counties you got, you know, $100,000 ARVs. So you can really cover a lot of ground there. And, and, and it's a very unique market to where I think we're going to get into this, like there's attorneys involved. So there's a little bit more of a barrier to entry. And uh, it's a great marketplace. I really enjoy it. Uh, really enjoy working there. And uh, it's like, you know, there's no place like home, as you know, you know? Yeah, that's right. I still live in my hometown. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here as well, buddy. But uh, I love it. So Hudson Valley, that's basically where you I grew up, right? Were you born there? Yeah, I was born, uh, born there, raised there. Still spend a good amount of time there when I'm not in California. And uh, it's interesting. I moved to San Diego uh, in 2018. And I was so tired of New York. I hated it. Oh, it's cold and snow. And when you move somewhere else, like it's almost like you think the grass is always greener. I really like California. It's an amazing place. But every time I go back to the Hudson Valley, I'm like, man, this is, this is, I'm from here. I got my roots here. I know everyone here. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful area. I love the four seasons and it's just got so much to offer. Yeah. We, that's one thing that you don't get really so much in San Diego is no. the four seasons. One so much. season, man. It's, it's one season. Just nice. Yeah. All 70 year. degrees out right now. Yeah, all just... year round. I love it. <laughs> so Greg is a wholesaler, a fix and flipper, and he does some buy and hold real estate investing. He's uh, doing a lot of sales in direct marketing, right? Or you're not buying stuff off the MLS, are you? Oh, I've never. It's funny. You, it's funny you say that. I'm in escrow right now on a, on a rehab or a burr. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it yet. And it's, it was on the MLS, but they got a mailer from me. And I made him a crazy low offer. And I'm like, there's no way they're taking it. And they're taking it. So if wow. that ends up getting to the finish line, that would be my first MLS deal. But it was still from my marketing efforts, which isn't uh, that crazy, man. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. you know, my, my partner and I, we've been, we've been buying close to a hundred houses a year for the last about, I don't know, call it four years. Yeah. And like two or three of those typically are listed properties. The majority of them are off market. You know, it's just going to direct to seller in our business yeah. is just the way to go, especially if you're wholesaling. Can oh, you wholesale yeah. a listed property? Absolutely. If you get it low enough, right? Yeah. But it's hard to get it low enough. You know, typically it's hard to get it low enough just to be an investable yeah. asset, right? <laughs> Let alone getting it good enough to be able to then take it 
and, and sell it to somebody else and still have meat on the bone for them and you. Right. So, Oh yeah. That's, that's the thing. If it's listed, yeah, you've got to, you got to steal the house, man. You got to steal that house or maybe sell it on terms or something, but yeah, you gotta, you know, it's possible, but you, you really like, you gotta just get it. You got to get something unique if it's on You got to get it. Yeah, you got to get it. You got to do man. something that's, that's going to make it stand out. But yeah, I mean, all that stuff. I used to just be a wholesaler. And then I started to realize that there are opportunities where, man, if I closed on this thing, I'd make triple the profit with not that much more effort involved. Started doing that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm paying a lot in taxes now. I got to get some rentals so I can offset that. So now, thanks to your book and some other people, I've really got turned on to this burr uh, method. And I'm in the middle of actually going to reposition a vacant, uh, mixed use building by doing the burn method. So nice. we're going to close that. Yeah. In, in a couple of months, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm sure. looking on to do a mixed use burr right now myself, man. That's yeah. funny that you say that. So, yeah. um, and thanks for, for the kind words, man, the book, uh, the book, you know, it's funny, but sometimes people will say, how does it stack up to the, uh, the bigger pockets book? And I oh. say, honestly, I have no idea. I've never read that one before. I just know from my own experience doing this about a hundred times, this is how I do it, you know? So there's yeah. probably other ways of doing it and, and better yeah. ways, maybe even for all I know, who right. knows. Right. But that's just from, you know, my experiences and we've probably done close to 120, 130 burrs. And, uh, we're trying to, to do, you know, probably about another 50, I'd say before 50 to 80 this year right? Still, yeah. still this year, we got a couple under contract as we speak. I think we have three under contract. So man, the bird method is one of my, it's one of my favorite things. It yeah. really is. It, it's it makes so much sense because like, I, I remember like, I used to like, be like, Oh, I got to put 20% down and then like save more money. And like the whole bird thing, I remember like when someone taught me like the strategy, I was like, Oh, you, it's like, re it's basically rehabbing, but instead of selling, you just go to the bank and have them cash you out. And I was like, wait, I have all my money back now. I can just go do this again. So yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant strategy. I love it. Well, Greg, one of the things that uh, really like, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it, but like, I guess one of the things that I was really ignorant to in, in the true yeah. definition of ignorance, like I just didn't, I didn't know I had never really been educated on was the whole closing attorney process. So if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of talk about that just really quick. Cause I think that's going to provide a ton of value to the audience. Um, and the reason that Greg is the is the guy to talk to about this, because he has to deal with these closing attorneys to do his deals like, the, you know, New York is a state that requires closing attorneys. Do they even have title companies up in New York? You do have them, but they're just a part of the transaction. They don't control the transaction. So you, so you basically have to do both, right? Yeah. It's, it's so expensive to close. Yeah. I mean, it is insane to close because of all that. Um, so yeah, you have closing company, you have title companies and then you have attorneys really, David, the title company in New York, their only job is to literally provide title and municipals, which is like the, you know, the town record of all, they just them. give you the, yeah, yeah the docs yeah. for the, right. That's all they do. Yeah. They just do that. And then they show up to the closing and they just provide the policy and that's it. I mean, the attorneys are the ones who do the whole actual like wheeling and dealing of the transaction in our state. Okay, so I just did a quick Google search for which states require an, a closing an attorney, right? And it says several states have laws on the books mandating the physical presence of an attorney or other type of involvement at real estate closings, including Alabama, Connecticut, Delaware, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Kentucky, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Mississippi, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Vermont, Virginia, and West Virginia. Holy cow. I thought there was like three. There's like 20. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow. I did not even know this, man. Yeah. And again, this is, I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm going to learn something new here, you know, because it's like, so look, let's just talk really quickly about how it works for me in Missouri. Right. And, and I guess basically the other, you know, 30, 35 states that don't require the closing attorney, right? So we have the option to go hire a closing attorney, but it's not required. So why would we want to do that, right? So I don't, I typically tell my students, you know, hey, let's go find a title company and, and find one that's investor friendly because they're going to basically, you know, help you with this transaction. Title companies are like personal injury attorneys. They only get paid typically if they can close the deal for you, yes. right? So they're yeah. going to go to work on your behalf for free, basically, hoping that they're going to close the loan. 
And if you don't know a whole lot about title companies or how that process works, go walk into one. They're like on every corner and go meet the people there and, and, and basically make them your coaches. Because again, they get paid when you close a deal. So I tell this to all my students, like, hey, go find a title company that you want to work with, make a friend over there and totally. basically turn that person into a coach. And they're going to be able to help coach you through the closing process. Now, this is about Greg, not about David. So I want to speed this up. But here in the Midwest and 30 to 35 other states where the attorneys aren't required, we just go find ourselves a title company. We find a, a property that we want to buy. Hopefully it's direct to seller motivated seller, right? Direct to seller marketing and they're motivated and we have a really great deal on it, right? And we take that and we get a contract on it. We take that contract to a title company and we you know, also deposit some earnest money or, or money into escrow, which is called the consideration. Um, and between the escrow and the contract, you save yourself a deal, right? Everything becomes yep. valid and legal. And if you're going to buy it, then you just have the title company tell you when to come up and sign. And they're going to charge you a little bit of fees to work it all up and make sure that the, that the, that the actual deed is transferred properly through a general warranty deed or specialty warranty deed, but not, you know, basically it's transferred and it's insurable. That's the main thing. Whenever yes. you go to a title company, you get what's called, you know, title insurance. Therefore, if there's an issue later, when you try to sell it, you have insurance to cover all the legal costs and time and fees that it's going to make to be able to sell it. So at the end of the day, the title company helps coordinate the, 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 the closing. They actually administer the closing. And they also provide insurance against any errors that may have happened during that. Now, if you're wholesaling, same thing. You bring in your buy contract, you bring in your sell contract, you give it to your title company, and they help coordinate it, right? One more thing before we move on from there. There's typically two types of closings whenever you are wholesaling. There's the double close and there's the assignment. With a title company, it doesn't really matter. You just tell them what you want to do. You figure out what you want to do. You talk to your buyers and see if it's okay to do an assignment. If not, double close it. There's pros and cons either way. But again, you just tell the title company, you basically just inform them of what your intentions are. And if you're not doing a double close or an assignment, then you're just purchasing. It's literally that simple, right? Yeah. And if I don't know something, you know, or there's something wrong with the title, you know, they typically will tell me, but then I'll just typically turn around and say, cool, what are you going to do about that? How are, you know, how can I help you help me? Basically. Yeah, exactly. Right? What do I need to do to help life. you? But at the end of the yeah. day, this is kind of your problem, not mine. Exactly. And that's what we pay you for. So guys, again, again, exactly. listen, or thanks for listening to me ramble about that. But that's how like, I, I thought 98% of, of the U S operated literally just, yeah. just like yeah. that. And I, and I'm learning new stuff. It sounds like there's about 20 States that actually require oh, yeah. an attorney. Yeah. Greg, what in the world is that? How does it work? Yeah. Why? Fill us in. For sure. Before I get into that, I, I want to tell you a quick, funny story. Sure, I've done sure. probably in between like 40 and 45 houses in the Dallas area and one in Austin. Okay. And this is a couple of years ago. I haven't marketed there in a while, but I remember the first deal we did, I locked the deal up and there's obviously no attorneys in Texas. And, you know, I sent in like a small nominal deposit and um, the escrow officer, escrow, the, the title agent was like, all right, we're good. We're in fully executed contract. And we assigned it two weeks later. And it was like, I had the money in my account. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, that's all you do in Texas. So, so like, really, if, you, if the deal's perfect, yeah, you can send so one easy. email. If the deal yeah. lines up and everyone shows up and yeah. you don't have to go do it. So one easy. email. Yeah. So, yeah. So other areas are definitely, it's a lot different. So in New York, so just to kind of paint the picture um, and some other attorney states are similar to this, especially it's mainly the Northeast, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, uh, Billy Alvaro is a mutual friend of ours. He also deals with this on a daily basis. He's Twitter. out of Jersey, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's in okay. Jersey now. So yep. Jersey and Long Island. So in New York, uh, in, in the Northeast in general, when you get a seller to say, yes, I'll just say this for New York because I, you know, I do this every day. Sure, sure. Got a deal, you know, today, actually. So it's like similar process. When the seller says yes, the whole process changes. So in New York, I'll just set the stage here. Seller says yes. That's great. Nine out of 10 times, you're not going to sign a piece of paper or a DocuSign at their house or on the computer. Once the seller says yes, they go get their attorney. You get your attorney. The email. So, so hold on. I got to interrupt, man. I'm so sorry, yeah. but I, I just no, I, yeah, I, my brain. Yeah. I can't hold back. So how do you send an offer or make an offer? Is it always done verbally it's, or do you actually verbal. send something? It's, ver it's, 
Yeah, it's okay, so you don't ever really send a contract that to them and then they sign it and send it back. That's not wow. Okay, no. so I didn't mean to interrupt, but I yeah. that to me is just like what? Holy well, cow, I'm sending offers all day. Contracts yeah. are going out. No, okay, no, no, interesting. Once in a while, you'll do that. So if it's a deal, so I'll give you an example. If there's a property owner and they're like, I don't want to buy it. I want to wholesale it. I will tell them full transparency. Hey, generally use an attorney. I want to put this under contract with a 10 day inspection period. And I'm going to try to sell this to another investor for a profit. If I can't sell it, I'm going to cancel this contract. We don't need to get the attorneys involved now because it's going to cost us both time. So let's give ourselves 10 days. I'm sorry. And money. And money. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give us. Yeah. So we'll, we'll give ourselves 10 days. If we can't, if I can't find a buyer, I'll let you know, no harm, no foul. So I'll do that one out of 10 times with a, with a seller, because that's like a borderline property. But generally speaking, like you just said, yeah, you don't send offers out. You get a yes on the phone or in person. And then the next steps are the attorneys communicate via email for the most part. And then the seller's attorney. And are you CC'd on all this stuff or no? Yeah. 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 You're okay. I'm CC'd on this. Yeah. So the seller's attorney prepares a contract. And this is why I love New York because there's a big barrier to entry there because nobody wants to do this. So it's not as competitive as a San Diego or as a Dallas or something because it's kind of hard to get deals. So the seller sends a, the seller's attorney signs a contract, sir, sends a contract to my attorney. My attorney sends it to me. I review it. A lot of the times there's like a lot of tough language in there. Like you have to put a huge deposit down anywhere from one to $10,000, which is very normal in my market. And then also there's generally there's a no assignment contingency. So then what happens is you have to then send that contract back with a rider, which has all the basic changes you want to make. And then they have to sign off on that. So generally speaking, David, when a seller says yes. Now, is there a standardized a, contract that, that's used typically, Greg, or is yeah. it always whatever that attorney huge, wants to write? It's a 10 to 15 pager, these contracts. Oh, 10 to geez. 15 pager, they're thick. So, so it's funny. I just got a fully executed contract today. Like literally the guy, I got the email before we went on this call. I got the yes on Congrats. New Year's Eve. Thank you. It's a three unit. I might burn it. Um, I got the yes on New Year's Eve. We have a fully executed contract today. It's March 2nd. What? I'm not kidding. It takes that, that long? So that Just bouncing it back between a term. I mean, we can yeah, close we a were deal. Haggling. Yeah, we, can, we were haggling. We can close a deal in three days. Yeah, no. New, my record- Now that's rare. Are, yeah, typically yeah. it's two weeks on average. But yeah, man, you're talking- January, yeah. February, it's two full months. That's two 60. Months. And that's not even to close. That's just to get the contract signed contract. and executed. Yeah. So then you got another month. Holy cow. Yeah, it's that's a that one. That's not normally going to happen. Normally what happens is it about five to seven business days, you get a fully executed contract. So if you get a yes, five to seven business days later, you're signed in escrow. So there's a big lag there, right? So that's like thing number one with the Northeast. Uh, if you're dealing all with attorneys is that, you got to understand just because you get a yes on the phone or in person doesn't mean you're locking that thing up today. And you got to be willing and able to address all the potential objections the seller's attorney might have if they have an attorney representing them. So a lot of the times there's a few objections. Oh, well, why do you need an assignment? Or why are you going to only put a thousand dollars down? Because a lot of these attorneys want 10% of the purchase price. So if I'm buying a house for 400 grand. 10%? I'm buying houses lot, for that's I'm putting down 10 bucks on mine sometimes. So it's a whole nother planet, man. I just put, um, I just locked one up last week. I went hard in the paint, $10,000 non-refundable earnest money sight yeah. unseen, like hard. Like, it's a good deal, but like that was what they needed or else I couldn't buy the house. So they want these bigger deposits. Generally speaking, I put anywhere from one to $2,000 down and that get, I get away with that nine out of 10 times. Right. So Though that's another thing. So you got to plant the seed with the attorney. Hey, I'm not putting 10% down. I'm a cash buyer. I'm offering your client all these benefits. Because of that, I buy three to four of these a month. And if I was going to put 10% on every property, I would be out of business. So then I get them usually to agree that because of the convenience of my sale, I don't have to put a huge deposit down. The second thing I always say is, hey, I might buy this property in Velocity or I might buy this property in a new LLC. And I just, I do this all the time. Um, I'm going to have to create a new LLC if I want to buy in another entity and I want an assignment just in case I decide to change the purchaser before closing. So it doesn't stall out the sale. So you can get your money faster. Love so you it. always got to frame it. How it you benefits. framed it perfectly. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. You always got to frame it. So, so you got to kind of negotiate a little bit, but then anyway, after that, those are kind of the landmines when you actually close on a property in New York, because you have so many other parties involved, 
you have like, so for example, when I go borrow money to, to take a deal down, you have the lender, obviously the lender in New York has to have an attorney represent them. So then you got to pay for that lender's attorney fee. I have my attorney, right. And then I have title fees. So to close on a deal in New York, like you got to really have, it's anywhere from four to $7,000 on average to close on a property in New York because of all these excess fees. So the benefit to that is, and I don't Man, want that's to- that's crazy. I would yeah, say it's, it's like anywhere from 1,200 to three grand on average okay. to close on oh, one in St. Louis St. or Louis? in the Midwest. That's amazing. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. So you guys are, are like triple almost then. That's nuts. It's triple. The, the benefit though is, and that, that's, that's crazy. I mean, I wish it was that cheap. The benefit to New York is though, when you're close, when you get in escrow, I call it escrow because I'm in California. I do deals out here too. When you get in like an agreement with a seller and you have a fully executed contract, it is impossible for someone to screw you on a deal. Like it is absolutely impossible for another buyer to go behind your back. When you go in contract, you are in contract. You have attorneys representing you. So like we do some monster wholesale deals and we do some monster deals where we're going to close on them. And it is, we cannot get our like feet taken out from under us. Yeah. I like that a lot. You know, it happens occasionally. It's kind of rare, you know, but it really depends on how much rapport you build with your sellers, you know, but it can happen. But in your guys's case, you, it, you kind of eliminate the possibility of it because it's like they're they're a low, unless they have multiple alert attorneys yeah. representing them. And even at that, I'm sure that there's ways to, to kind of to figure that out. So holy cow. So where does the title company fall into the into the closing with uh, sure. with the attorneys? So the title company in New York, all they do is they just make sure that the title is insurable, like you explained earlier. Like they make sure that there's you know, clean title, the deed is correct. And the deed transfers are going to be correct. They provide the title and pol- the, the insurance policy. And then in New York, which is, this is a little bit different. I don't think this happens in St. Louis. Basically every town that, you know, every, obviously you have properties in either a city or a town, every town and city in New York has their own, it's called a municipal search. And what happens is they, they search the, the town and make sure there's no open permits or, you know, grass abatement weeds or whatever the case is. And they, they basically conduct this municipal search and then they give you a clean, uh, you know, title commitment at that point or a clean municipal commitment at that point. And then they just go to the closing and they shuffle papers and switch the deed over and sell their policy. And that's all they do. They don't, you don't communicate with them at all. You don't, you know, none of that. It's so just- when you actually go to the closing. Yeah. You don't go to a title company then typically, or do no. you? No, it's always in a lawyer's office. It's always, it's always in a lawyer's office. Lawyer's what? office. That's so strange to me. Yeah. It's like you're getting, it's like you're getting divorced or something. You're in the attorney's yeah, office. Yeah. It's like, man, yeah. it's just, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I can see how this, and so is the title, the title company is always required then unless, uh, unless an attorney owns one and he just yeah, does it. Exactly. Right. Okay. Generally there has to be a title company involved. Yeah. Got it. But you, so like where I'm at, the title company is also involved, assuming yeah. you're buying it through it, you know, buying it the right way. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I mean, you can, it's anybody can do a quick claim, but you know, you're, you're not going to be able to sell that sometimes unless yeah. it's like done right, you know? So, yeah. uh, but, but wow. Okay. So I guess what I'm, where I'm going with this though, is I can have a, me as the buyer and I can have a seller. And a title company. So there's three people involved here. Yeah. If I need a, if I want to bring a lender in to buy it, the lender and I will work with the title company to prepare the proper documentation and mortgage and uh, deeds and whatever may be needed, promissory yeah. notes, you name it, all that paperwork yeah. type stuff. Um, so it doesn't really add that much complexity. Um, but essentially, it's just me and my seller or me and my buyer if I'm selling and the title company and that's it. Yeah. But if, but if you guys, so you guys have, have to add in the component of the attorney, but it's not just one attorney, right? I mean, is there yeah. times where you have an attorney that will represent both the buyer and the seller? Or is that not even a thing? Yeah, you can do that. We don't, I don't do that because you, I'll do that. Like, so I did a wholesale deal and my attorney represented my buyer and me, but the seller was totally represented on their own because New York, I'm sure as you probably figured this out, it's a very, I don't know the word litigious, whatever the hell that, that term, that legal litigious state, everyone wants to sue you in New York. And especially down where I am, everyone's very skeptical. I think everything's a scam. So when I have a, especially a seller who's in a jam, 
They're in Linda Sell at a discount. I always get them. I refer them an attorney if they don't have one because I want to make sure that my butt is covered. If they yeah, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because these these are big big spread deals too. So like, like we're buying these for a lot of money sometimes. So these are large transactions. So I wouldn't want a seller to sell me a property and then have like my attorney represented both of us. And then all of a sudden they get some, their cousin's an attorney and thinks they got ripped off. And then all of a sudden I'm in a lawsuit. So I always want the seller represented on their end. Once in a while, I'll have the buyer uh, just use my attorney. If they're easy to work with in their Yeah. Parents. And if you're, and if everyone's open about it, like, Hey, I'm buying for 90 and selling for a hundred. Like, yeah. What else do you need to know? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's same it's, lawyer it's, on the buy side. Yeah. I get that. But when you're dealing with the other side of the transaction, the opposite of whichever side you're on yeah. having their own attorney makes sense. Okay. So let me describe a complicated deal and you're going to laugh because then I want you to describe a complicated deal. Right. Sure. So okay. I may have a deal where I have a motivated seller and I send them a contract and they sign it and I don't need any lawyers or anything. Right. And I take that contract to a title company and then I start marketing that contract. Let's say this is one that I want to wholesale. Sure. And the price is irrelevant, right? And I I just have this deal and I find um, some guys online that, you know, are saying, hey, that they have interest in this deal. And I say, sure, here's the lockbox code. And then I find out that it's not them that's buying it. It's like one of their partners that's buying it, right? And this can actually happen two or three times. You know, oh, and this yeah. whole daisy chain yeah, process, yeah. but for oh, simplicity, yeah. I'm just going to say that this happens just once. So basically another guy has a buyer and he's like, Hey, you know, if you want to do this deal, I, I need to get paid five grand or I maybe even want half of the wholesale. How much are you going to wholesale this for Dave? Well, in some cases, I'm not going to tell that guy. I'm just going to yeah. say, how much do you want? Right. Yeah. But if yeah. it's uh, you know, not a crazy deal, let's say it's only like a $10,000 spread, not a huge deal. You know, I'd be like, hey, I'll give you half. It's it's five grand for bringing the buyer in. But, you know, even though this is somewhat complicated by me talking about it, the only difference now is that I have my seller in me and we have a contract and we have a title company that we're going to give all that to. And then now I'm just going to have a contract with their buyer and then just a joint venture agreement with the other guy. right? Right. Or I could buy it and then assign it through that contract to their end buyer. Either way though, it just adds like one more person and one more document. Yeah. And we still use the same title company. Hopefully everybody's involved in the same company. Now there is a thing where you can have a buyer represented by one title company and a seller by another. And there's really no re- no no reason for that other than oh, I only work with this company because I do ton of business with them. And that does happen yeah. from time to time. But the downside to having two different title companies is the fees are going to be higher. Oh, like, yeah. You know, they're obviously going to cut a break to both parties if they can do this whole thing in like 20 minutes, right? Versus having to communicate with other companies and all this stuff. So for me, a complicated deal would just be to have another person that comes in yeah. or maybe even two in some cases, yeah. which just adds one more document like uh, either an assignment agreement or a joint venture agreement, right? But where you guys are at, you're bringing in attorneys for each of these people, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And the lender, if a lender's involved, you're bringing in an attorney for the lender. So, I mean, you can have a deal that goes from just you and a seller, which is two people, to like eight people like, yeah. like that. You want to know something funny that Holy you said cow. that? It's funny you say that, yeah. You're going to, you're, I hope you're sitting here because you might fall out of your chair after you hear this. So- <laughs> If you, so, so, I mean, obviously we wholesale the different types of buyers, cash buyers are normally the easiest to work with for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've done deals. I mean, I don't even, I can't even remember at this point how many we've done, but where, where the buyer, because it's expensive in our market. So the buyers get financing and they get hard money. So if you're doing a deal in New York and all is well, right. This is exactly what's going to happen at the closing. I don't go to closings anymore. My attorney goes for me because, you know, we do enough business to where. Yeah. Like, and COVID and other yeah. stuff. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, so if it's no COVID and I'm, I'm hanging out in New York and I want to just go to a closing for fun and we're doing a wholesale deal and the buyer's getting financing, this is who's at the closing, the seller, the seller's attorney, me, my attorney, the buyer, the buyer's attorney, the buyer's lender, the buyer's lender's attorney. They're all in the same room. Unbelievable. And I'm like, We've done that. We've done that. Yeah. And they're it's, all it's, in the same room. All in the same Does room. Does the seller ever say, who's all these other people? Eh, I mean, a lot of the times what you do they just kind of know that when they're in the law offices, that the law, the <laughs> lease, that the attorneys are going to handle it and just kind of shut the hell up. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's funny you say that we, we did a double close. I'll never forget this. This is like back a couple of years ago when we first started getting momentum. 
I remember I did a double close and it was a total like random, like I didn't think we we're going to be able to sell this thing. We ended up selling it for 20 G's. And the buyer was like, we call them Joe Blow buyers. Like he's not a savvy guy. He's not listening to this podcast. He's not going on bigger pockets. He's like, he saw our Facebook ad, said, I want to buy that house. It was down the street from where he grew up. Long story short, he buys it from us. So we buy the deal at like 12 o'clock. And we, the guy literally, we walk out of one closing. We resell the deal at like 1230. And the guy walks out and then goes into the other room. So like, yeah, we literally did a double close like that. And the guy, it was like, it was the weirdest thing ever. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how double closes work. So Isn't that, um, yeah, so we, yeah. we do that yeah. same thing and uh, we'll have our buyer and seller come like 10 minutes apart. Just like you said, you know, we'll have the seller come in first just because we have to be able to buy it to sell it first. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. the cool thing is, is um, Greg is, Missouri, I think it's, I don't necessarily know if it's state by state. I think it's really more about like title company yeah. to title company, but it may also have to do with the state. Cause I know in yeah. California, they, they don't really do this, but, or maybe it's even, it's not, you know, not something that is even legal there, but in Missouri where I do all the majority yeah. of my deals, um, I can use my end buyers funds Same in New York. to, to yeah. close on mine. So I don't have to yeah. necessarily now sometimes I'll need transactional funding because my buyer may have um, a loan. They may have, you know, they may have a lender and yeah. that lender won't allow an assignment and, or they won't allow me to sell it to them without it being in my name for super annoying. Uh, yeah. It does happen from time to time, but most of the times if I got a deal at 140 and I have it sold at 150, I'll, 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 what I'll do is I'll have the buyer come in first yep. and fund the deal. And I'll have him come in 30 minutes before it and sign all the paperwork. And then I'll have the seller come in right behind him. And we'll use that guy's money to follow all yep. the way through the whole transaction. And if it's an assignment, I'll just get a $10,000 check right there. It's yep. amazing. That is amazing. In New York, we do that. We do the double closes like that. We actually nice. prefer to do that because uh, when you assign a lot of the time, like, I mean, if we're assigning something for 50 grand, like a lot, if we don't know the, like, if it's a buyer that we're cool with, like I did one last week for 33 and it's like my friend, but if I don't know this guy and he sees I'm making 50 grand, he might have a problem with that, especially in New York, people like to count your money. So to mitigate that, we always generally do that. We'll do a double close where the buyer, my attorney's a ninja, man. He just does it. I mean, you, you can do it in New York legally. Um, I'm not an attorney, by the way, this is not legal. Sure, advice. sure. But yeah, we, we can, uh, yeah, we do that. It's so much easier because you don't have to, like you're technically the owner for two seconds. And yeah, I mean, I love doing that if I can, because it just makes everything cleaner. And um, sometimes when- Yeah, I can see how the assignment though, Greg, would be very, very, very valuable. Yeah. If you have a closing cost of four to seven grand on both not sides. On double, of the, see, not on double closing. Okay, so there the you go. Loophole. Yeah, it's my attorney is an absolute black belt when it comes to this stuff. So nice. basically, because you're basically like, it's almost like when you throw a rock and it kind of skips on the lake for a second. Yep. You're like skipping title kind of. So you avoid like- the mortgage recording tax, you avoid like the buyer takes all the closing costs. You just pay obviously the legal fee. And then I just think the transfer pay. tax basically it's for small, the attorney. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And when I say tax, I don't even necessarily mean a government tax. I'm just saying like the cost yeah. to just transfer the thing over yeah. real quick. Well, that's cool. Then that, that saves yeah. you guys a ton because man, if you're spending, yeah. you know, four five, six grand, and then you have to turn around and do that. Ooh, <laughs> no, that no. Not on yeah. double no. Hey, let me ask you this. So are you, whenever you're buying, um, cause you're, you, you know, you're on both coasts, you're doing deals in California, yeah. you're doing deals yeah. in New York. Are you yeah. typically paying the seller's closing costs? In New York, I will do it a lot because it's, that's a big value proposition when I'm dealing with a homeowner, like, Hey, I'll pay your closing costs. I'll yeah. Pay especially if you're going to get a great deal. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't care. That's tripping over pennies on your way to dollars. So yeah, I, to York, I, I totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. So here in the Midwest to sell a property, Let's just say you got yourself a hundred thousand dollar property, you know something, you know, real easy, real, real simple uh, to buy it. You're looking at maybe eight hundred to a thousand bucks to sell it. You're looking at probably three hundred dollars. So when oh we say, gosh. yeah, so when we say, hey, we will pay your closing costs, I'll be able to negotiate somebody down three, four, five thousand. We did it today. We got a guy down eight grand um, on an offer that we made. We were we were going to buy this duplex for one hundred and thirty. And we got him to, to agree to sell it to us for 122000 However, we were going to pay all of his closing costs. 
but little does he know that that's only like three or four hundred dollars. So that's why I was asking. So, you know, is that customary? And I would I would think if you can get them down like your trip, you said it best tripping over pennies to make dollars. But I think a lot of people, they they don't realize that the closing cost on the sell side is cheaper. Now, if you're having to hire an attorney to come and be present. You're going to yeah. be spending a little bit more than yeah. 300 bucks to sell a property. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> more than that, but it's, it, it, man, the math always works out. I mean, I literally just did a deal last week. I'll, uh, there's two examples I can share. It was a 30, I was supposed to, I, a realtor didn't do me well on this. I was supposed to make 50 on the deal, but she basically hosed me and I ended up only making like 30, 32 on it and still had to pay commission, but I digress. But I mean, the big value proposition on that deal was seller. I will pay your closing costs which includes your attorney fee. So you're going to net this and Mrs. Seller because you're in Texas and you're not even here. If your uh, list pendants, if basically if we're, if we don't get the payoff done by February 28th and it rolls into March, I will pay your per diem. So you're still netting the same amount of money and I will eat the cost. Thank gosh, we closed it on the 20, uh, the 26th, I believe. But I mean, it's a huge value prop. That's a massive a value there, add yeah. though, right? Sellers want certainty, man. They want certainty. And a lot of the sellers that you and I work with, they're not, um, they're not hedge fund managers. They're not n- complete knuckleheads, but they want clarity. They want simplicity and they want certainty. And they want people to explain things clearly. So they, it's almost like they can take what you explain to them and they can go explain it to somebody else clearly. And I, that's how I communicate with sellers. So that like we get on the same page and yeah, paying for their closing costs is a huge value add because they know their net price is their net price. You know what I mean? Like that's how yeah. I get the deals, David, because I I try to communicate as best as I can with these sellers and just be like the, a true problem solver for them. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to, man. I tell, I tell this to everybody. I'm like, yeah, you know, as an investor, I only really have like three things that I can offer people. Like, that's really <laughs> it. Right. Like I can offer cash. I can offer quick. Quick. And I can offer as is. And that's, that's really it. Now there's other things I can obviously do. I can offer to pay this, the closing costs and I can yeah, yeah, pay yeah. for a moving company to come and I can do this and yeah. that and this and that. But really at the end of the day, it's just about convenience. Like all we really are doing is we're trading convenience to somebody for a discount. Hence the name of the podcast, the discount property investor, yeah. right? That's it's it. uh, you know, all that we're doing is, is we're looking for deals at a discount and how do we get them at a discount? We offer to bend over backwards and just say, you know, we're going to offer convenience. Totally. And the funny thing is, is, you know, if you learn how to buy a property at a discount, which obviously you're a pro at Greg, I'm pretty good at it myself. Done it about 650 times at this point. Um, you, you, all the doors open for you. Oh, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So if you want to wholesale oh. it and you got it at a good price, that, that, that's an option. If you want to rehab it and flip it and get full retail, that's an option. If you want to, you know, turn it into a rental, hopefully with little to none of your own money, which we like to call the Burr method, right? You can, you can get all of it back. That's an option. But if you don't buy a property at a discount, none of those doors are open to no, you guys. None done. of them. <laughs> so you so really, true. you know, first step in learning, learning about how to become an investor. And it doesn't even have to be a wholesaler specifically, guys. If you just want to be a landlord or a fix and flipper, that's fine too. But the first thing you need to learn is that this is a marketing business. All it if you is, want to man. find these leads, you got to learn how to get good at marketing. And once you close the deal from your marketing efforts, then you become an investor. Boom. But That's not so up until cool. that point, right? I hope everyone rewinds the last two minutes of what you just said, because I, I wish I knew this when I got started five years ago or almost six years ago now, time flies, because I thought I was a real estate investor, David. I was not. I did not know that I, I was in the lead gen and conversion business and because of that, I'll pull this book out real quick. I started studying marketing. There's a book called Over Deliver by Brian yep. Kurtz. Who actually I love it. Been on my show. I haven't read that yeah. one yet. Oh, man, you'll love this book. And it's the better you can get at marketing and, and communicating, which is what we're doing right now. Just being a good communicator, you're going to make so much more money because you're going to get people to see your side of the table and, you know, it, it, it just, it, it's the best skill you could ever learn is how to be a good communicator. I, I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face, but- once I started studying marketing, direct marketing, how to run mailers, how to qualify a prospect to see if they're a pretender or a contender, how to negotiate with a good seller, like that changed my life, man. It's it all changed marketing. my life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's the same with you. It changes your life because you're able to, it, it's very, it's a very powerful skill to have because you're transferring certainty to another party and you get a seller to see that you're there to really help them. It's a good and way to, like, I like that perspective. That. Yeah. 
I, it's it, man. I just, I love being able to be a problem solver in this business, whether that's solving a problem for a lender that I'm working with or a buyer who's buying a retail product for me or a seller who I'm getting a house at a discount from. If you can be a good problem solver, I mean, you'll write your own check in this business and you'll have more money than you know what to do with. That's funny that you said, if, if somebody would have told me that, so like, yeah. You know, I, I've been in buying real estate since I was 20 years old and I'm 36 years old. So it's been 16 years since I bought my first house. And I actually just sold it last week. No way. Cash a, so cash a six figure, cash a six figure check on it, buddy. Yeah. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. But uh, now, we're now we're talking. But the thing capital, is, is okay. when I first started buying, I didn't know anything about these motivated seller people, right? I didn't yeah. realize yeah. that there were these people that would like give you their property at a discount in exchange yeah. for all of this convenience that you can offer. Right. And yeah. I spent the first 10 years, Greg, buying retail. Basically I was buying about, a, about a property a year for the first 10 years, um, as a rental. I've never been that good at saving money. So I just went up once I save up a, you know, 20, 30 grand, I just try to go find a house that's worth a hundred and get a loan yeah. on it and park the cash, right. Just kind of park the cash. That way I can't spend it. Right. In the first 10 years of my investing career, I did about one a year. I think I got to like 11 houses by the 10th year. So maybe I did two one year, but basically one a year paying full retail. And six years ago, I learned about these motivated seller people guys. And I haven't paid retail for a house since. And I bought 600 houses since then. So whenever people say, I don't know how to find motivated sellers. Well, that's fine. We can teach you that. But when they say I'm having, you know, I can't, I can't find them. Well, the answer to that problem is, is you're not doing enough marketing. Do more marketing. So true. If they're oh. not finding you and you're not finding them, the simplest way to solve that solution, guys, is just to do more marketing. Now, marketing typically re- requires time and money. There's ways to fully outsource it to where you just pay for it. But typically, it's going to be a time-consuming thing and it's going to be a costly thing. Yeah. But the, re- the return on those two efforts oh. are sometimes they can be 100x, guys. Literally 100x. It's it's so that's such a nugget you drop there. Once again, I hope these listeners re rewatch this episode because if they just take one or two things that we're talking about now, it can change their whole life, especially with the marketing stuff here. If you're a new investor and you don't have a lot of money to spend on marketing, look at everything you're doing as a return on your time and effort. Like mm-hmm. when I got started, David, I didn't have a lot of money. I was 20 years old. I was in college. I had two G's in the bank. I sound like one of these like seminar stories, right? But it's true. So I spent a lot of time and effort on getting leads, right? So I would put out bandit signs. I would, you know, door knock and all that stuff. So I looked at like, how much time would it take me to get a deal to earn money to then invest that money back into marketing? So if you're listening to this right now, you don't have a lot of money, figure out how much time you can spend every week on the activities that actually move the needle and then track and monitor those activities to see what results you're producing. Yeah, create a scorecard. You got to track it somewhere. If you don't track it, you're never going to get good at it. You got to score yourself. And if you're doing bad and your scorecard showing it, you know what you can start to diagnose to get to the root, right? Like if you don't know what's working, you don't know what to fix. You know what I mean? And I didn't, it took me years to realize this, David, because I was going out there, always motivated, always hungry. I'd get a deal every once in a while, but I had no system. I didn't have KPIs. I didn't know how to you know, profitably spend advertising every month. And like, you know what I mean? Now I could spend money on ads and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a four to one ROAS on this because I know the numbers. But right. It took years to figure know out the numbers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, one it's thing that I really like that you said, Greg, is, is that you got to track it. You got to have a scorecard. You, you, you got to, you got to be consistent, right? So whenever we bring on a new student, I say, hey, here's the deal. You are not allowed to just do this on Saturday. It's not, no. it's not, you're not allowed. Here's why. No. If you miss this Saturday, cause you have a wedding, and then the next week, like something bad happens and like you now have a, a funeral to go to on that Saturday, you're three yeah. weeks out from getting anything sure. done. Yeah. Right. It's better to spend 10 minutes a day than oh, yeah. one hour a week, because if you miss that one hour a week, nothing happens. And then when you start spending 10 minutes a day, that turns into 30 minutes a day. And before you know it, your hobby starts getting fun because you're like, man, this is a lot of work trying to find these motivated sellers. But when I do find it, the rewards are awesome it's amazing dude so oh, fun man. i'll never forget my first big well reasonably sized deal it was off a of mail i made 15k on a wholesale deal i was nice. 21 i think and i was like dude that's remember, a home run it was 21 it was a big deal man because it proved my concept to my parents and then i remember we spent we went out to dinner 
And it was just like euphoria, man. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. And then obviously ever since then, hundreds of houses later, like, you know, you start to start to become a rhythm, but with you're new and you're starting and you, if you want to think this business is worth it, I can tell you right now, a thousand percent worth it. If you do what David said and actually do the work consistently. Yeah. Just consistently. I love it. Hey, Greg, tell us about your podcast before we wrap up pave the way podcast. I want to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, Let's see here. I, I started the show back in, I think, 19. I think it's been about two and two, two to two and a half years. My memory. Two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, my memory isn't the best, but anyway, long story short, I started the podcast over the years. I've been able to build a pretty good network up and a lot of successful investors like you, I get to call my friends. Uh, I get to call as friends. So I started bringing them on the show and interviewing them um, and, and just, you know, recording it, putting them out. Uh, one thing led to another. We started putting out two shows a week. And uh, yeah, now we, we have a, a great podcast where we bring on real estate entrepreneurs, we bring on best-selling authors. I've had some pretty big hitters on there uh, and we bring on people. Yeah, I'm looking through your uh, list right now, man. I recognize like yeah. probably 60% of the names on here. So yeah, that's yeah, awesome, we, man. You got, got Gavin, you got Don, oh, you got yeah. Chris Arnold, my, my oh, homie yeah. Chris, Lauren Hardy. We're going to have you on soon. We're going to have, we're going to talk about the burr on you. You'll be a great guest. Hell yeah. So, Ryan Doss, yeah. he's on the podcast. Oh, yeah. my, my man, Gary Boomershine, dude, you that's got all cool. the good people on here. Steve Kavanaugh is my boy. Hell oh, yeah. Man. I love it. That's what we got up. everyone on there. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. The, the, the podcasting community, it's growing, but it's still a very small community of individuals. Yeah. And every is. day there's a new guy that's coming in, which is great. I love it. I think it's amazing. Uh, but there's really not that many individuals out there, at least ones that have had a hundred plus episodes on their podcast. looks like you're up to like 142 right now, man. So you're crushing it. Yeah, yeah, so we're that's... putting out more content. I'm hiring an assistant uh, as we speak to, to really take that and, and, and take it to the next level. Yeah, uh, and yep. I really just it's a it's a way for me to honestly give back. I mean, I started in this business. I was twenty. I'm twenty five now. There's a lot of people I think my age who want to be real estate entrepreneurs. Maybe they went to college and they weren't happy with it or whatever, and they want to find a way to 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 do something different. And hopefully, my podcast can be a big resource to them. And uh, I it's a great networking tool for myself. I mean, I connect with some high level guys and. We were able to add value to each other. I had our, our buddy Chris Craddock on the show uh, this morning, actually. And, Love uh, we Chris. Yeah. Is he talking about yeah, turning cool. the trash leads into cash leads? Yeah, yeah. We were yeah. talking about that. <laughs> yeah, that's his thing, man. He loves it. I love it. Yeah, that's he's, his thing, man. What he's helped me with that. Yeah, yeah, he's helped us with that recently. And we he's haven't on. really gone full into that mode because it is a lot of work. But what we are doing, though, is we're we, we know, you know, that we have that tool in our belt, right? So if we get yeah. somebody on the phone, that's, they're only going to be considering a retail play. Cool. Don't just like say, oh, thanks. Have a great day. Like, no. okay, cool. Like, guess what? I got an agent that, you know, would, would love to help you sell this property. And, you know, his whole approach by uh, not trying to go in with the six month listing agreement and, you know, just doing like yeah. a couple weeks oh, and yeah. having the scarcity effect, meaning like, it's not just on the market for anybody to go look at it. Like you have to schedule times just to view it. Or just have windows, you know, this Saturday from 12 to 3, anybody and everybody can come. But then what happens is people come and there's other people there. Yeah, he has a very, very good approach. I really like Chris's, yeah. uh, his model a lot. We got a lot of guys on there. So, yeah, I mean, that's the show. I mean, uh, it's, it's been cool. I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of great feedback on it. And, um, you know, it's out there to help people, you know, and, and be a good resource. I try to bring on a lot of experts in certain topics. Um, I've had some bird guys. I think you'll be a big asset to the show too. We'll, uh, we'll have you on here. We'll, we'll unpack the burr on, on my, uh, on my show. And, uh, yeah, that's like a Let's great, do it, guess, baby. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Ready. So that's the, I guess that's the, the 30,000 foot view over that podcast. And really, I think it actually ended up coming from a conversation. Me and my buddy, we were in Hawaii having some Mai Tais and we're like, man, you know, we, we kind of got started at the same time and like, man, we've learned a decent amount. I mean, we're obviously not experts at all, but uh, this was a few years ago. And I'm like, we should just put a podcast, like, you know, just record some of these conversations we're having. I mean, I feel like other people could benefit from them. That's not how it started, you know, initially. Yeah. Yeah. It turned into like a That's kind of how my, my, my podcast, this one here started with, with yeah. my, my partner, Mike Slane, same thing. You know, it's like, yeah. man, we're learning stuff as we go and yeah. it'd just be really cool to just kind of share that information and, and just kind of, and we try to have fun, man. You know, on, on all of our shows, we try to have as, as much fun as we can. You know, just, totally. just, just kind of joking with each other and, you know, talking about different things. So I love it. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the Discount Property Investor Podcast. I'm honored to have you here. I'm grateful for your time today. I really do appreciate you. Guys, don't forget to go check out Greg's podcast. It's called Pave the Way Podcast. 
Uh, Greg's a young guy, but he's got about five years of experience under his belt, hundreds of deals, multiple six figure deals. He's doing virtual burr flipping wholesaling. He's in multiple markets. I mean, just, he's the real deal. I love, I love this guy. He's the man, Greg Helbeck, H E L B E C K for anybody that's curious, pave the way podcast. You can also go follow Greg over on Instagram. And your handle is Grego underscore 37, right? Yep. That's what's Grego up. Score 30. You're, you're like a mind reader, man. You got, you know, all your stuff, man. You what's up. Yeah. Stuff. Just search Greg Helbick in, in uh, Insta. And uh, there's a link to his podcast right there on his page. There you go. Um, and then of course, pave the way podcast guys, check it out for sure. Greg, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for not only educating the audience, but shh, educating me as well about this, uh, <laughs> About this whole closing attorney thing, man. It's, oh, it's yeah. so foreign to me, but I just did the math and there's 22 states um, in the U.S. here that require it. And honestly, before this episode, I thought there was like three, two or three. I thought it was so rare, but man, like that's basically like half the country. So if you guys are not in a state that requires one now, you know, just like me. I love it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Greg, thanks for coming on. Until next time, signing off. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.